0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through New Beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey everybody, it's Pastor Joe. Welcome to New Beginnings Midweek Online. Many years ago, I was driving a young man home from church. At that time, he was still using drugs and alcohol, and would come to church under the influence. Well, this one particular night, he asked me to stop in a convenience store on the way to his house to get cigarettes. So I did. I sat in the parking lot while he got out and went into the, to, to go into the store. I watched from the car as he struggled to get the door the door to the store opened, but he wasn't having any success. And then I looked down, and I saw that he had his foot propped up against the door, so he was actually pulling against his own weight and couldn't figure out why the door wouldn't open. I thought to myself, this is how the majority of people live today. They can't get out of their own way. And that's the title of this message, Getting Out of Your Own Way. As we go through life, uh, we realize how blessed we are, that God gives us dreams, he gives us plans that he puts in our hearts uh, in order for us to accomplish for him. You know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Uh, from the New Living Translation, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. We're told also <clears throat> that God longs to bless us. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, I want to read to you from the Amplified Version. And therefore the Lord earnestly waits in expecting, looking, and longing to be gracious to you. And therefore, he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and show loving kindness to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are all those who earnestly wait for him, who expect and look and long for him, for his victory, his favor, his love, his peace, his joy, and his matchless, unbroken companionship. I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest from the word of God that God has good intentions towards us. He has good plans for us. We know that. We understand he's a good God. Our problem is not about what God wants for us or his thoughts toward us or even the way he sees us. It is our sabotaging our own lives with old patterns and with old mindsets. We find our path blocked and we get stuck in the middle without ever accomplishing those dreams. And we usually place blame first on the devil And then we'll blame some other third party, some other human being. But if we'd be completely honest with ourselves, we would admit that we are our own worst enemy. The truth is the devil is not my problem. In Luke chapter 10, it's recorded for us, what Jesus spoke to the disciples about our enemy. Verse 19, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and on over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 6, verse 16, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In Matthew 16, Jesus made the statement that I've held on to all these decades that the devil could never prevail against his church. That's us, that's you, that's me. So, so our problem is really not so much with the enemy. When we use our authority over him, we use the power of the name of Jesus, he's got to get out of the way. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. In the New Testament, there are only a few scriptures that tell us how to handle the devil while there are dozens and dozens of scriptures that tell us how to deal with the real problem. I am the real problem. You are the real problem. My untrained, undisciplined self, my unrenewed mind, my unsubmitted, hidden parts of life are the problem. There have been men throughout history that have conquered entire kingdoms, but then been defeated by their own lack of self-control. The truth is, I have to get myself out of the way you have to get yourself out of the way. Self mastery is the greatest of all victories. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says A person without self control is like a city with broken down walls. In ancient times, <laughs> no one in their right mind would live in a city that wasn't surrounded by a wall. Wild animals can come in, enemies can attack at any time they wanted. In today's world, maybe you can compare that to living in a gated community as opposed to living in an open neighborhood. The gates, the fences, the walls, they all speak security to us. Proverbs tells us that a person that has no self-control or refuses to exercise self-control is sold out on just living for the moment, sold out on living for whatever gratifies the flesh, that person can never offer you any security, any stability, or any protection. They and those connected to them are extremely vulnerable to attack or failure or just any type of interference in living out life. Self-control, we know, is an exercise of inner strength and under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to do, to think, and to say things that are pleasing to God. Now, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, He knows us. He knows us. He knows our strength and he knows our weaknesses and he wants to help us with both. Have you had a history of a lack of self-control? Or maybe compulsive behavior? Impulsive decision-making? We always get ourselves in trouble when we make decisions at the wrong time. Has your lack of self-control ever ever cost you financially or has uh, has it cost you in your health? Has it cost you in your emotional health? In other words, without the protection of self control, we are defenseless against our own out of control desires, our habits, and our appetites. Um, Especially at the time that we're in right now, where our emotions are so heightened. The anxiety level for most people is through the roof right now. Uh, Most of us are living with uh, hair trigger emotions, the slightest little thing just can set anybody off. We've seen it in our society. Unfortunately, we see it even in church. Um, The story of Samson in the Bible is probably one of the strongest reminders of a person who did nothing to develop self-control. Samson was born to his parents after being promised by an angel of God. The angel promised and gave instructions to the parents that they would have this child, But the instructions were very clear that this child was never to drink alcohol or they were never to cut his hair. He was, what the Bible calls, to be set apart as a Nazarite, a special vow of purity. Now, one thing we've got to understand before I even get into the rest of the story is that nothing comes from heaven without a cost. Jesus came to this earth, paid a a horrific price to redeem us back to our Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit came to this earth, is here. To follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, there's a cost. We have to deny ourselves, we have to not live a frivolous lifestyle. There may be some things you have to cut out. If you want to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, you cannot have an intimate relationship with the world. There's a cost involved. So, Samson's special gift from God was his supernatural strength. I mean, on one occasion, he killed a 1,000 Philistines with just the jawbone of a donkey. Another time, he ripped the city gates off of a wall and carried them at a good distance. But despite all of this strength, Samson was overcome by his own out-of-control sexual desires. That passion, that craving, that out-of-control, I've got to have this, caused him to get involved with ungodly women and made him very vulnerable to the enemies of God. The devil is always looking for, to take advantage of one of our weaknesses in order to embarrass God. And in the end, Samson ended up blind, a blind captive of the Philistines spending his last days chained to a grinding stone. His last act on behalf of God was to destroy his enemies along with himself. The conqueror was not conquered by his enemies, but by his own out-of-control desires. A loss of self-control involves using good things in a bad way. For example, it's normal to have hunger. It's normal to have thirst. It's normal to suffer from fatigue. And sex is something that God came up with, it's his idea. But when your appetite takes control and you lose self-control, it turns into the sin of gluttony. Social drinking becomes alcoholism. Rest becomes laziness. And when normal sexual desire goes over into the area of excess and lack of control takes over, the result usually is adultery, divorce, destruction. And you see, the the, the, the crazy thing about us as humans is no one wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to live a life that's just totally out of control. Today I will become an adulterer. Today I'm going to become an alcoholic. Today I'm going to become a slacker. No one wakes up with that intention in life. What happens is that we begin to drift. We drift away from a life of intimacy with God, of intimacy with the Holy Spirit, of intimacy with the Word, And we begin to yield ourselves to the voice of the old nature. And right now, as I'm speaking to you, there are many people that are in great danger of drifting. The lockdown was a hassle in the beginning. We complained. People didn't like it. When we realized that we could only have church online, then some people got used to it. Oh, wow. I have the weekends to myself now. All of a sudden, if you hear about me, oh, this isn't so bad. It's just church online. It's not so bad. I'll make sure I watch the service online during the week. And then that morphed into, well, you know, since the lockdown, I'm spending a lot more time with my family, spending a lot more time with my friends. After all, I haven't been able to do anything for three months. And now I haven't watched the service in weeks. That's dangerous. And I know I'm speaking to those that are watching online. You're already here. You're already watching. But you and I both know that there are dozens of people that we know right now that should be watching this and that are off, distracted, drifting, and it's going to cost in the long run. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, Amplified Version. For those who are living according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, which gratify the body. But those who are living according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, His will and purpose. Now the mind of the flesh is death, both now and forever, because it pursues sin. But the mind of the Spirit is life and peace, the spiritual well-being that comes from walking with God, both now and forever. The mind of the flesh with its sinful pursuits is actively hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law, since it cannot. Verse 8, and those who are in the flesh live a life that caters to sinful appetites and impulses, cannot please God. However, here's the good news. You are not living in the flesh, controlled by the sinful nature, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God lives in you, directing and guiding you. And that's what's such a shame and so unfortunate when a born-again individual who has received salvation, has the Holy Spirit living inside them, possibly even received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so you have the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. When that individual sets their mind on the flesh, they're living outside of their natural realm. You and I are born again. We, are brought in, we have been brought into a realm. We are in the Spirit. Let me say it this way stay in the Spirit, live in the Spirit be more comfortable in the spirit and less comfortable living in the flesh, satisfying those cravings and those appetites. What Paul is saying is this. Wake up to the reality that who you are in Christ. You really are in Christ. And the flesh has no authority over you unless you give it authority. Living according to the flesh can be defined as living according to our body, our emotion, ruled by our emotions, ruled by our appetites whereby living according to the Spirit is being led by God and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. My emotions, my mind, my thinking, my appetites, my cravings, whatever, I've got to take them and submit them to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Living according to, in relationship with, is not a one-time thing. Okay. Living according to, The kingdom of God living in relationship with the Holy Spirit is not a one time thing. This has got to be it's got we have to develop it into a lifestyle. A lifestyle every day is making an assessment of how I'm gonna think, how I'm gonna talk, how I'm gonna live that day. It is completely possible with God that we can live that way. It is a matter of dedicating myself, committing myself very early on in the morning, so that I set the path for the rest of the day. Um, that's why it's so important to come to church on Sunday. It's so important. If, if, and, and if you're at that place where you're not ready to come back physically to church, it is extremely important for you to establish that routine that on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, that you set time aside to sit in front of your TV or sit in front of your computer or on your phone and commit that time to the Lord. Yeah, you could be doing other things that maybe you think might be more fun but are they more profitable? See, what you set your life, whatever path you set it on, is going to determine the end of your journey. My advice to you is to maintain that routine. It is important that the first day of the week be dedicated unto the Lord. Listen, we are living in dangerous times. I wish I could say otherwise right now. And maybe you're tired of hearing it. I'm tired of saying it. But we are living in dangerous times. And if the past six months has taught us anything, it has taught us this lesson, that life can change drastically and dramatically from one day to the next. This is not time to grow weak in faith, but to make sure that you are strong spiritually. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14. It's one of my favorite Proverbs, especially when, it's, when you read it from the Amplified, the classic Amplified version. Proverbs 18, 14. I want you to listen to this very closely. The strong spirit of a man sustains him in bodily pain or trouble, but a weak and broken spirit, who can raise up or bear? What's that saying? We're advised by the word of God to stay strong spiritually. Get strong and stay strong. Keep yourself spiritually strong. Keep yourself in the Word of God. Keep yourself in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Develop some type of a lifestyle of prayer. Even if it's just five minutes, ten minutes in the morning, you will eventually develop a a longer and more effective prayer life. But you see, when your spirit is strong, your spirit, completely influenced by the Holy Spirit, will sustain you when trouble comes into your life. will sustain you when physical illness and sickness tries to attack you. It will sustain you when the pressures of life, the pressures of financial obligations try to overwhelm you. Your strong spirit will sustain you. What does it mean to sustain? It will hold you up. It will bear you up. It will strengthen you. But if your spirit is weak, if your soul is the one that's doing all the determination of what your life is going to be like, you may not survive the attacks that come in the future. Now listen, some of us are just, it's just a fact. Some of us are going to be frontline pioneers all of our lives. We will always live with our guard up because of the things that we were exposed to, whether, whether by someone else or by our own human appetites. There are some of us who are always going to live on the, on the edge. We have to. We're always going to be pioneers. We're always going to have to be with our guard up. We have to be like Minutemen. We've got to sleep with our rifle next to our bed. Why? It's just life. And if that's you, I don't, I don't want to go into what you could have been exposed to, what I've been exposed to. But we know within ourselves, we cannot let our guard down. We can't. Because our past is waiting right behind us, waiting to snatch us back. And I advise you, please, develop a strong spiritual life. We live, we're to live our lives dependent on God's strength. And we've got to keep disciplined. We've got to be alert. We've got to be on top of our game so that we avoid the results of an out-of-control life. Max Lucado, that famous Christian author, said this, I am a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by my God. And I will be taught only by Christ. Paul thought that self-control was extremely important. And I could see why. I could see why he would be the one to stress so much in the scriptures about self-discipline. Because he lived in a Roman world. And the Roman Greek world was a world of unlimited sin. Just... Just whatever you can imagine, they did. And it was part of just everyday life. They lived life without any control, any self-control, any discipline, any walls. They were literally Proverbs 18 people. And Paul realized this, that you cannot live in a society like that and have peace. And not get to the end of your life and realize you were just a disaster waiting to happen. And so he taught ministers that they themselves must demonstrate self-control. He taught the churches to demonstrate self-control. He charged Christians to help one another to get to a place of discipline and self-control. Titus chapter 1 verse 7. Since an overseer, supervisor, manages God's household, he must be blameless. I'm talking about ministers now. Not overbearing, not quick tempered not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. The fact is, every one of us are ministers of the gospel. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So none of them, we say, well, I'm not a minister. I don't, I don't, I'm not pastoring a church. I'm not an evangelist. Uh, I'm not an apostle or whatever. So I can have a little bit of slack. No, no, no. You're still a minister of the gospel. And if any of those out of control areas is going to cause someone in your life to stumble, then you need to understand and recognize you're going to have that responsibility. You'll be held accountable for that. We need to, we need to live our lives in such a way that we don't stumble people. And we don't repel them, but we attract them through allowing the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, to shine through us, to live through us, to love through us, to touch other people's lives. In that same letter to Titus, Paul goes on with the elders. Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate. He's talking to the pastor. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, Self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. It's our responsibility. The older, the older, the older ones, the older believers, the seasoned believers. It's our responsibility to teach the younger. Titus chapter two verse three. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one would malign the word of God. Older women with more life experience are supposed to be teaching the younger, less experience. Be more concerned, just saying this to all of you, be more concerned with being a teacher rather than being a friend. A teacher can have a greater influence on a person's life than a friend can. Verse six says, similarly encouraging young men to be self-controlled and everything set them an example by doing what is good. Young men, he left last hoping that they would learn from the others as well. Now listen, because of God's love and grace, he empowers us to do what we can so that we can stay in a place of being spiritually strong. He graces us. And that grace is an active thing. It's not, it's not, that grace is not a Band-Aid to just cover my sin. That grace is an empowerment that enables me to resist the temptation, that enables me to say no to everything that's ungodly, enables me to develop my self-discipline. And it's not a self-discipline that's rooted and grounded in my own willpower or pride. It is totally dependent upon the grace of God and his his empowerment to help me to live a life where I can get out of my own way, that I I cease being my own enemy, I cease laying my own traps, I cease presenting my own obstacles so that I can live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. That's important. It's important. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. I hope that you've grasped this I may continue in this in the future. but Right now, I just pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would take hold of the grace of God that empowers you to live a life that's disciplined, to live a life that's holy, to live a life that exemplifies the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. And I pray that you would learn how to get out of your own way. In Jesus' name, amen.